The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including Clean Energy Advisors. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and my Forbes contributor covering social entrepreneurship and impact investing. Our guest today is Priyanka Bakaya, and she is uh, an extraordinary young social entrepreneur recognized internationally for her work in cleaning up the oceans by helping us convert crappy plastic. And not all plastic is crappy, but helping convert crappy plastic back into oil and uh, fuel that can be used efficiently. Uh, Priyanka, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, we're excited to learn more about how you do this, but uh, it seems to me, let, let's start with uh, plastic. Let's talk a little bit about the problem. Uh, what is the problem with plastic? Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, something that really shocks people is that in the U.S., only 9% of our plastic waste gets recycled. And um, unfortunately, the reason it's so low is because there are so many different types of plastic. And in order to recycle plastic, you need to have a pure stream. And once it enters the waste stream, it becomes very hard to separate. Um, so really, the problem that we're trying to solve is what to do with the rest of that plastic. And most of it either enters landfills or it enters the environment. Um, and huge amounts are entering the oceans this um, each year. Roughly 8 million tons of plastic waste um, enter our oceans every year. And um, what we're working on is trying to find a solution for all that plastic waste that can't be easily recycled. And since plastic comes from fuel, our solution is to convert that plastic waste back into fuel. Now, some plastics can be more readily recycled into other plastics than others. Talk to us about how that works, why that is. Sure. So um, typically the most commonly recycled plastics are the ones with the highest numbers, number one and number two. So number one's PET, the water bottles and soda bottles. Um, and that's, it's a really easy identifiable plastic. When it shows up at a recycling center, they can easily sort it out because um, it's all the same plastic. Um, so that has a high recycling rate. And then number two is the HDPEs, so the things like the foggy milk bottles and shampoo and detergent bottles. It's also just very easily recognizable. Um, so those two get recycled quite well, but then all other types of plastic like packaging, bags, um, you know, takeout containers, um, things like straws, utensils, they're just all so mixed and commingled that it, they become very hard to separate out and recycle. So uh, what do you do with that crappy plastic that's hard to recycle? Sure. So um, the great thing about our process is we don't need to separate out the plastics into specific types. We break down the plastic back to its molecular form that it started out with. So we're basically reversing the process that created the plastic and breaking down the long carbon chains and making shorter carbon chains that resemble fuel. So diesel, which is our main product that we aim to make, that's a C12 to C20 chain. So basically we're just sort of using a process to break down those chains and convert it back into a usable fuel. And since plastic is 100% energy, we get, you know, almost, you know, 100% energy back from it. Uh, 
What kind of uh, toxic emissions result from your process? What kinds of byproducts are there that you have to deal with that are messy and gross? Yeah, so the great thing about the process is um, it's much cleaner than other things that people have tried in the past, such as incineration. So with incineration, you burn um, waste, and the oxygen um, that you're using to burn creates dioxins, and that's very harmful. Um, What we're doing is our process is completely enclosed and oxygen-free, so it doesn't create any of those dioxins, and we're just, you know, taking it back to its um, original composition. So... um, There's no toxic emissions that result out of the process. Um, What we do get is a few percent um, after the process goes through our system will come out as a inert um, char material, and that's a non-toxic substance. It's basically whatever was attached to the plastic that hasn't, um, you know, converted into fuel. So things like the label, label, dirt, sugar, whatever. Right. Exactly. So. Did you create and invent a new process, or did you discover a process? Yeah, so what we did was, you know, we knew that, um, you know, scientifically it was known that since plastic comes from fuel, it can be converted back into fuel, Um, but no one had figured out how to do this at a large scale and how to do this commercially and how to make it viable. And um, really what our innovation was, you know, taking something that can be done at a small scale and saying, hey, you know, there is a way to do this at a large scale and make it, um, you know, run continuously and efficiently and, you know, make it automated enough that the economics actually make a lot of sense. And so um, our operating costs to, you know, produce each barrel of fuel is 25 to $30 per barrel. And, you know, previously when people had tried it, it had been like, you know, over $60 a barrel that was the operating cost. So it didn't make sense. So really our innovation has been to reduce the cost um, at a large scale to make it really economic. Yeah, so the price of oil today, I haven't checked in a few weeks. Is it $30, $40 right now? Um, yeah, it's in the 40 to 50 range. The 40 and, to 50 yeah, range. And okay, we make, so you've got some good margin right now. Yeah, and we make diesel, which is a premium product to that um, crude oil price. So it's usually trades around $20 a barrel above it. Um, so, oh, okay. So yeah, so your finished product isn't ready to become diesel. Your finished product is diesel. Right, yeah, we make the finished product ourselves. Yeah, so at uh, if you're producing diesel at $25 a barrel, that's like a really, really good deal. It's a really yeah. compelling model, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And you want to do that all day long. Exactly. And then, and then at night, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, that's remarkable. So what you're doing now, your business model, tell us, tell us what it is, because I don't think you really are focused on operating a plant to produce as much diesel as you want. You're about producing plants to produce diesel, right? Yeah, so our vision is to really deploy this technology in as many places as possible. And it be deployed, sorry to interrupt, I'm excited to hear, but... I, you you can deploy this if it's not wasteful. You can do it in somewhat urban areas. Now, you and I happen to both be in Salt Lake City, and, and, and I want to make a, a point here that's a, a little bit of an embarrassment, or it should be an embarrassment to those of us who live in Salt Lake, but in Salt Lake City proper, 
within full view of downtown Salt Lake City, there are five oil refineries. Mm -hmm. And all of them produce toxic waste, right? And so that those toxins blow and float just right through downtown every day, all day, 365. What about your plant? Your plant wouldn't do that, would it? Yeah, there's no toxic emissions at all from our um, facility. Um, we are classified as like a low emitter. We don't require any special permitting. Um, so yeah, we. So your plant could go in a place where they actually need diesel fuel, like an urban area, uh, without creating a problem. Yeah, and we are, you know, basically ten minutes from downtown here in Salt Lake, and you know, it isn't an issue. No. Well, you're still farther away than the, uh, the refineries, I think. Uh, no, way before the refineries. I can see them out by Oh, really? Oh, you're over there? Okay. <laughs> I was thinking you were a little further out in West Valley. Okay. Um, th that's tremendous. I am I'm glad. So where are you seeing your plant customers actually putting them relative to the cities that they're in? Yeah, I mean, what makes the most sense is to co-locate where the plastic is, um, because plastic takes up much more volume than the fuel we create, so it's good to be right at the source, um, so you reduce the transportation burden of transporting the plastic waste, and where we see the most demand are, um, you know, places that generate a lot of waste and have a high tipping field fees, so we, we've seen a lot of interest along the East Coast, um, and actually our next facility is going to be... Um, in the East Coast in Canada, Nova Scotia, um, and we're going to be located right on site at a waste processing facility. So the material that's coming off the facility, the plastic that can't be recycled, will enter into our system right there um, on site. And that's sort of the perfect model is to have it really right there on site, or within you know like a close radius of where mm. the plastic waste is coming. And for us, it makes sense to really um, try to partner with some of these recycling companies um, who are already collecting the plastic waste and taking their residual stream of the plastics that they can't recycle since they have such high volumes. Yeah. Now, converting plastic to oil or to diesel rather than converting it to plastic uh, seems really appealing to me, but how does that compare economically? Would it make sense to convert your, your uh, one and two type plastics to oil or to, to diesel using your model, or is it still better to convert those plastics yeah, back no, into other plastics? We don't, um, you know, as a company, our mission is not to compete with existing recycling because, you know, the more you can try to close the loop, um, the better it is. So, and since only 9% is getting recycled, there's so much out there that hasn't, um, you know, doesn't have a recycling outlet that really our focus is on those materials, and those materials tend to have the highest pain point um, because um, these waste companies have to pay to dispose them in, in the landfill. So that's really um, the target is that plastic that can't be recycled. And so a lot of that plastic is some of the most annoying plastic. I think I think you're saying that you can take like garbage, or the, the grocery sacks that are really terrible plastics, right? You can take those, make them into diesel fuel. Mm -hmm. yeah. no, no toxic emissions. Yeah, nothing, yeah. That's that's pretty remarkable. Uh, how do, is there a way that consumers can start thinking about making sure that they're, uh, I keep calling them crappy plastics, get into the stream for you to use? 
I mean, our um, first goal is to really try to educate consumers to reduce their plastic consumption to begin with. Um, you know, something like the grocery bag, it's, you know, now there's, you know, so much awareness about how harmful these are. And, you know, it's great to see people more and more bringing their own tote bags, um, you know, when they go shopping instead of using the paper or the plastic. Um, and really as a company, we're trying to, focus more on raising that awareness um, because even though we can convert it to fuel, it's better to, you know, just not create it <laughs> to begin with. Um, and we're actually launching in Salt Lake um, this fall a zero waste campaign um, where we're going to put more of our um, PK clean bins around the city and encourage people to reduce their waste um, to basically the size of a mason jar over a month. And we'll have these bins just sort of there in case you do, like, you know, happen to generate some, you know, plastic waste that can't be recycled. We can at least convert it to fuel um, at PK Clean. Wow, fantastic. Now, the way that you're selling the plants, you're selling them to who's your typical customer for the, the plants? So typically anyone who has is generating large amounts of waste. So that tends to be either waste companies or manufacturers who um, you know, are producing products that have you know, large plastic waste streams as byproducts. And um, you know, occasionally it will be um, cities um, and government agencies who might not have already outsourced a private contract to- How many plants have you built so far? How many are in the pipeline? Yeah, so we have um, the main facilities here in Salt Lake City, and then we have the second one under construction um, in Nova Scotia, and then um, we are we have a few more in the pipeline um, for next year, which um, are sort of around the world uh, that we're looking at for those. Okay, and um, as you expand, uh, it seems to me that the, the potential here is almost infinite, right? I mean, yeah, the, the, the we, we, 90% of plastics aren't recycled. Uh, seems like huge, huge potential here. Yeah, we get, um, you know, literally hundreds of inquiries coming in um, from people all over the world, just, you know, who trying to find a solution for their plastic waste and you know for us the challenge is um, we don't want to you know, promise that we can make 100 of these <laughs> in the next year so you know we're sort of gradually scaling up and picking which sites make the most sense to begin with and yeah. um, you know doing it in that order but you know the hope is to eventually have it sort of cookie cutter enough that we can get out and um, right but what kind of scale are the plants you're building and looking at building, operating at? How many barrels per day of production are they doing? Yeah, so um, each sort of modular unit, it's a 10 ton per day unit, and that converts into roughly 60 barrels of fuel. And then it sort of scales up from there. So depending on, you know, how many of these modular units you want to have, you can have them all in parallel. Yeah. Yeah. Help me think through the environmental impact as it regards carbon. Mm -hmm. um, what is the best conceivable thing we could do with plastic from a carbon standpoint, and how does your operation compare to the best? 
Yeah, you know, the thing with plastic that people don't realize is, you know, basically every single piece of plastic you've ever used still exists in some form. It doesn't just sort of disappear. And I think that sometimes is just like crazy to people. They're like, oh, doesn't it just disappear? But, you know, whether it's in a landfill, you know, they have studies that have shown that, you know, it's going to be in the same form in the landfill for hundreds of years. It doesn't naturally decompose. Or it ends up in the ocean and becomes microplastics. It's still like, you know, it, they become smaller and smaller forms, but it's still there. Um, or, you know, even if you turn it into new plastic, you know, it's still there. And, um, you know, there's not no way of just, like, it just doesn't disappear. Um, so it is... It comes from, um, you know, fuel to begin with. And, you know, what people don't realize is that, you know, you have to make something out of it. You know, it, it doesn't just go away. And even in the landfill, studies have shown that it does release, um, you know, methane into the environment at small levels. So, you know, there's not really any way of, like, sequestering this plastic. And, you know, it's going to have some carbon impact. And, you know, from our perspective and looking at all the different alternatives of what to do, if you can't recycle it, um, you know, it's much better instead of putting it into a landfill where it's going to sit for hundreds of years and instead to use it, make a usable fuel. And the fuel can either be used to make new plastics if it's sent to like a plastic refining facility or as a substitute for oil that needs to be drilled out of the ground. So, um, so really when you look at sort of all the different places the plastic can go um, and we've spent a lot of time looking at you know what can you do with the plastic like this really does make sense um, um, to offset you know the need to drill plastic from out of the ground. Now methane is worse in terms of the uh, impact on global warming than CO2. Yeah. We focus on CO2 because that's what cars produce I think mm-hmm. but uh, Methane from a decomposing plastic bottle or a cow is probably worse per ton, right, than CO2? Yeah, methane's about 20 times. Is the is it fair to think of your diesel fuel as a, a zero carbon because the carbon is already out there, or, or is that unfair? Am I being too kind? <laughs> I mean, it's where you draw the box. And, um, you know, yes, it is a fuel, um, you know, it, it does burn a bit more cleanly than, um, you know, regular fuel um, that comes out of the ground. And, you know, the key thing, um, and there has been a study by Argonne National Laboratory showing that, um, you know, plastic to fuel does overall reduce sort of the carbon emissions impact, um, especially when you compare it to, you know, drilling oil from the ground, which, you know, is much worse for the environment. Um, so, you know, when you look at it from that sort of where you draw the box and look at, you know, everything that's going on, it, it does make sense um, from a carbon impact. Um, but, you know, that being said, we're still creating a fuel, but the plastic has come from fuel, so it's not, there's no way of it disappearing, you know. So. Right, right. Well, listen, you are uh, an extraordinary individual. Uh, in in so many ways, you've been recognized uh, multiple times uh, for your entrepreneurship. Who do you look up to? Who do you admire? Who is your role model? Yeah, what really um, you know triggered me to get involved in this space initially was an Australian inventor who was a family friend of us growing up, and his name was 
Percy Keane, and he was um, a chemistry inventor, and he had developed a series of technologies um, it, related to the environment, and he really sort of inspired me as a child, and he was a bachelor who'd converted his home into, um, you know, a giant laboratory and was te testing various things, and really just dedicated his life um, to discovering all these technologies, and, um, you know, he showed me at some point some fuel he'd made from waste and, you know, sort of lit it with a match, and it really sort of sparked my imagination. Um, you know, I didn't understand it as a child. And, you know, later when I, you know, came to study U.S. and, you know, I had the opportunity to go to both Stanford and MIT, and I, you know, thought, like, you know, when you look back at Percy's technologies, um, he never had the opportunity to take it sort of beyond that laboratory level. Um, at that point, he was quite elderly, and um, he ended up passing away at the age of 95, and at that time, I sort of looked back at some of his technologies, and the plastic to fuel was something he had looked at, um, and that's really sort of what um, inspired me to see if I could use sort of my resources and all that I'd been given through my education to um, take his work forward. And um, he hadn't done any of the engineering around it, which has really been the key challenge of scaling it up. But um, he sort of was the initial inspiration um, to sort of showing that, you know, like if you really dedicate your life to, you know, a cause, um, you can really you know, lead a meaningful life and have an impact. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got to ask, and please forgive the question, but uh, as I think about uh, chemical engineers who are out actually in the field doing things like building plants, like you're doing, uh, I picture a friend of mine who, who died recently, who six foot four, 300 pounds, big guy, uh, you know, knew how to turn a wrench. And I, I'm trying to picture you in that environment. What kind of experiences beyond having interviewers ask you really stupid questions? What what what, uh, what has been your experience as a young woman in in this field? Yeah, no, it's um, you know definitely interesting. I think um, you know especially some of the more traditional people are just sort of a little bit surprised to see um, someone who looks so different. Um, but you know, I think there's advantages as well. I think. Um, I add sort of a completely different, um, you know, type of outlook um, on the industry that, uh, you know, I'm able to sort of see it in a different way than um, others have. And, you know, the way um, I have a co-founder who's a male and, you know, we're able to sort of, um, you know, really create a more balanced workplace and see things, you know, balance each other out. And we're so different that it, you know, really sort of helps, um, you know, us look at problems from many more dimensions. So, you know, I'd say it's overall um, an advantage, and even just in terms of standing out, I think, you know, it helps me, um, you know, people remember me <laughs> perhaps a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it can be challenging at times for people to take you seriously, and, you know, I've had some people just sort of say things to my face, like, you know, what does some, like, little, like, young girl, you know, know, and, you know, things like that, but yeah. I don't let that get to me, it's, you know, usually because of their own insecurities that they say things like that. So. Yeah, you're obviously achieving great success despite those challenges, but it, uh, it is, I am sure, at times interesting to walk in your shoes. You know, you could be doing anything. Uh, why have you chosen to do this? Yeah, for me, it was, you know, 
it wasn't like an aha moment. It was, you know, several things in my life where I was, you know, always very environmentally conscious. And, you know, when I moved to the U.S., I was quite shocked when I had, like, my first internship in New York. And I just saw sort of the piles and mountains of waste everywhere. And, you know, just, um, and I'd spent some time in Germany and, you know, looking at the recycling system there. And, you know, it's something that I've always been um, very passionate about and um, you know at some point it, it was at MIT and I sort of connected all the dots of what I was you know mostly interested in and you know what I really wanted to devote my life to and um, this really made the most sense to combine my passion for technology and science and the environment to um, you know focus on a solution for um, you know one of the biggest problems with the waste stream which is the plastics that I'm getting recycled and our hope as a company is to, you know, go to other waste streams as well beyond plastics um, that also are, are problematic. Um, and, you know, really our mission is to try to develop technologies and new ways of doing things that bring us to a society where we um, really move towards, like, zero landfill and um, try to close the loop as much as possible. Yeah. What is your superpower? Um, I think I would say my superpower is just sort of creating um, bold visions um, for the company and sort of evolving that with time. And um, I think, you know, as as we've grown over the years, we've sort of sometimes will achieve something. And, you know, my co-founder is like, wow, that's, you know, I, I could never see, he could never see the vision, but like I sort of guided everyone and they're like oh wow that's you know that's sort of how you envisioned it um to begin with and i think sort of creating these bold visions and you know directing everyone's efforts um you know it's hard for everyone to see it but you know guiding us to that next level and um so yeah i'd say that would be my main superpower is sort of i have this like very strong vision of how i want the future to be and us sort of reusing everything and recycling and you know that's sort of the path that we're on as a company. Well, I'm so glad that you'll take the time to be with us today. Before you go, I want you to just take a minute and tell people how they can learn more and connect with you personally. Sure. Um, well, people can reach me. My um, social media handles P. Bakire, so on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, it's the same, P-B-A-K-A-Y-A. Um, or just to visit the website pkclean.com and um, if you leave us a note on the contact form that reaches me as well so fantastic well Priyanka we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and want to wish you every success in scaling this business quickly thank you so much I really appreciate you having me today oh. all right let's do some Clean Energy Advisors creates investment opportunities in the renewable energy sector that provide clients with predictable income, preservation of capital, and positive impact. Clean Energy Advisors is committed to providing clients with investment opportunities with both market rates of return and measurable impact. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devonthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World.
Every weekday, Devon hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur, or other change maker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devon is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.